0: First of all, Ian Dunn, columnist with the Iron newspaper. Ian, I'm just going to get out of your way. Would you tell me what is currently happening in your complex society?
1: Well, we've just had the conference speech from Liz Truss, another moment of catastrophic existential despair, really, where you just sort of sit there looking at it thinking... You know, maybe I should have been a fisherman or a carpenter or, or made any other kind of life choice that would have prevented me from getting to the stage where I have to sit and watch this stuff. She did, I suppose, something interesting, which is uh, one of her only good qualities was that she didn't really engage in populism up until this moment, Theresa May always going on about the North London liberal metropolitan elites, Boris Johnson, the same. She hadn't really gone for that. Now, backed into a corner, she did and started complaining about people. I mean, it was an extreme. She basically listed every single one of my recreational activities and said that you are therefore an enemy to the country. So people who won't use Twitter, people who take taxis to BBC studios from North London, (laughs) uh, people who listen to podcasts. Uh, all of these people are the new anti-growth coalition who reject any change to the status quo and are trying to undermine her great economic plan, which so far has involved absolutely tanking the UK economy. Uh, So the one really sort of meaty intellectual distinction of the speech was to take her one positive attribute and detonate it.
0: I've heard the uh, Conservative Party conference described as utter chaos. Is that being too kind?
1: Yes, yes. It's more of a bloodbath, really. Um, that, I mean, y- you can barely make a cup of coffee without missing two or three really quite violent ministerial internecine conflicts. So, And, and that's partly a result of her own behaviour. I mean, you know, so she's, I mean, sh- she was U-turning so often. In fact, yesterday she managed so many U-turns on one policy that it actually turned into an O-turn. And she U-turned on the U-turn that she made in the morning, in the afternoon, and therefore ended up in the same position that she was in by the evening, only before this morning, seemingly U-turning on it again. to so some sort of S-shape, I suppose. We're basically having to invent new letters of the alphabet to describe the sort of cowardice and the flimsiness with which she pursues her policy objectives. So for a start, I mean, mostly saying when she's going to come up with her economic plan, which is supposed to reassure the markets and prove that she's going to reduce the debt and probably involve a lot of cuts to welfare. She originally said she was going to do that in late November, And people's response to that was, well, if you do... I mean, the markets are in a state of extreme volatility right now. You need to provide something before then... And then she said, okay, fine. So we're going to start doing it maybe late October. In in between that point, she suddenly met the fact that several of her cabinet secretaries started speaking out against cuts to benefit, thinking they could push her into a new position by virtue of the fact that she'd already dropped some of her previous economic policies. And then she said, no, right, we're back to late November for, for the economic plan before suddenly reverting again this morning. She is absolutely all over the place. And the real sort of assessment now... I mean, this is laughable. You know, you say rightly that we've now adopted your timescale for deposing leaders. I think we're about to overtake you, actually, because at the moment, most of us are sort of expecting if she makes it to Christmas, that would be quite an impressive thing. And that is quite a singular fact, given the fact she's only been Prime Minister for one month.
0: There's been much talk of a coup, any chance?
1: Yeah, I think they'll go for it eventually. I mean, she is... She is so hopeless, I don't really have the words to describe it. I mean, watching the speech, you know, putting aside the ineffectiveness of the policymaking itself and the wrongheadedness of the ideology with which it is pursued, I mean, presentationally, she is the single worst prime minister I've ever seen. I mean, she might be one of the worst politicians I've ever seen. She, she did her speech today. It was like she was trying to explain the concept of giraffes to primary school children. She has a way of sort of talking, just so basic and simplistic that you feel insulted merely by virtue of her manner she cannot land an applause line her hands i mean god knows what her hands are doing through this thing it looks like they're trying to like grab an imaginary pizza that's flying through the sky she can't read an auto cue. she is an absolute presentational disaster and you could probably get past that i mean you could say you know for instance gordon brown was not great presentation he was much better than her but not great presentationally but you had a really meaty intellectual figure there who understood the economics who knew what he was doing now you don't have that with her she doesn't really understand the ideology that she's trying to promote she doesn't even really follow it i mean certainly none of the neoliberals who she's sort of aspiring towards, would have any respect for what she's doing with inflation or what she's doing with balanced budgets. She doesn't really have the intellectual credibility and she doesn't have the support within her own parliamentary party. So really, I mean, you look at it and you think that there's just no way she can survive. If she does make it to Christmas, it'll be quite impressive. But at the moment, I'd say I would be very surprised if she is the Tory leader at the next general election.
0: Back to the revolving door. Any chance of uh, Boris going back inside?
1: He clearly wants to. I mean, he's hanging around for that reason. And originally, I thought this won't work for him because it will require too much humility, he'll have to stay on the back benches for too long, biding his time. That is no longer a concern. However, I don't think that they'll go back to him. I suspect that the Tory... But, you know, it would just seem so bizarre to try out a new leader for a few months and then go back to the old one, who anyway was catastrophic in polling and, you know, had all of the problems that he had. There was a reason they got rid of him in the first place. I suspect they'll go for Michael Gove, who is this sort of very polite and intelligent, but but pretty morally suspect individual who's who's gone for leader before. He's always been on the sort of front bench of British politics throughout the last 12 years. Or Grant Shapps, who is pretty much an empty, hollow vessel of a man, but is fairly convincing on a media platform. And at the moment, that kind of threshold is all they need to plump for someone else.
0: Could he explain a giraffe to uh, school students?
1: um he actually might be able to do that and and if that is the sole criteria by which we're now going to judge Tory leaders if that is the basic line of competence that is required then then you know maybe he's the man for them
0: now you pointed out in one of your splendid iron news columns that what we're seeing is the culmination of years of conservative politics which has become increasingly unmoored or unhinged from reality would you be kind enough to expand on that
1: yeah, yeah, well, I mean, you know what? You see the beginning of it with Michael Gove, who I just mentioned, in 2016 during the Brexit referendum. And he's sort of told, look, the, the IMF, the Office for Budget Responsibility, all these international and national institutions, they say Brexit will make us poorer. Uh, so what do you say to that? And he says, you know, the British public have had enough of experts. That's the key quote. He then sort of constructs a sort of a kind of hip level conspiracy, sort of saying, well, they've got their own economic interests, they're connected, they don't really have the interests of the British people at heart. And that's this kind of epistoconial logical breaking point where the tory party goes well right anyone with independent expertise anyone with specialist knowledge anyone who might scrutinize the executive they're kind of part of a conspiracy and we should block them out wherever possible and that situation gets worse and worse and worse until you finally get to Liz Truss and Quasi Quata and the new chancellor. They come in. What's the first thing they do? I mean, literally the first thing they do is to get rid of the permanent secretary in the treasury, Tom scholar That's kind of the CEO of the department of the civil service in the treasury. Why did they get rid of him? Because they know that he's going to say things like, if you want to cut taxes and increase spending, you're going to need to come up with some kind of plan for your, how you're going to pay back the borrowing that you need to do. They call this treasury orthodoxy, which in and of itself is another kind of, odd conspiracy theory about the deep state trying to stop these thriving young ideologues from, you know, ridding Britain of its economic chains. The second thing they do is block out the Office for Budget Responsibility, which is supposed to be there to mark the homework of the chancellor to go, well, look, your sums aren't adding up. What's the maths? What you got then is the chancellor going, I don't want to hear any of the maths. I don't want to hear any of the numbers. I just want to press ahead with what I'm going to do. And those twin moves on the permanent secretary and on the Office of Budget Responsibility were part of the reasons that the markets freaked out. I mean, the numbers that have been proposed are large, but it wasn't a response to the sort of objective reality of the numbers. It was a response to a government that just didn't seem to know what it was doing and was cutting itself off from any scrutiny whatsoever. So in that extent, this is a continuation of the methodological and ideological approach that we saw birthed with Brexit and now coming fully to life under Liz Truss's administration. If... uh
0: Baroness Thatcher was derived from the grave. What might not she think of what's going on? Because so much of this is being done in her
1: name. Yeah, not much, you know. That's the funny thing, that she is for them now a kind of emotional talisman, but not really a source of coherent political inspiration so, I mean thatcher was quite careful right i mean you know she made she cut public spending a lot brutally savagely i mean she basically decimated british industry with tragic consequences for generations to come and she did that so she could cut taxes but she didn't just come in and say all right we're just going to cut all the taxes when we can't afford to and borrow more she was you know for all of her many 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 faults she was a disciple of frederick hayek and she understood The economics, very well. I mean, she used to talk to him all the time. The economics was that you maintain a balanced budget. You're trying to slowly shrink the state out of the economy. What these guys are doing doesn't follow any of those rules. It doesn't even seem to accept that those rules exist. Part of the irony is when they complain about Treasury orthodoxy, that orthodoxy is a Thatcherite orthodoxy. The people that usually complain about the politics of the Treasury are on the left, saying you don't understand the Keynesian mechanisms of investing for the good of the economy. So actually, they're not really Thatcherites. I was saying this a sort of couple of weeks ago. I mean, they're sort of more Reaganite, but even Reagan deserves more credit than the kind of clown car <laughs> nonsense that we're seeing from them right now. They, they, when they look up to Thatcher, what they like is the whole steely, Falklands, ladies not for turning, militarist imagery of her. That kind of really masculine, thriving sense of, of, of potency, of political potency. That's the bit they like. The actual political content has pretty much gone away in the wind
0: enter stage right or perhaps more accurately stage centre the labour party they're doing pretty well at the moment
1: it's i mean it's extraordinary you should see that if you look at the graphs for the polling you know obviously typically you see lines bouncing up and down i mean over the last few weeks the the line for labour is literally vertical um so i mean at the moment they've just established a 32 point lead over the conservatives this is I've never actually. I've actually never I'm in sorry, my life seen thirty-two
0: that. point lead.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wow. mean, it's completely out of control. I, I've I've never seen this velocity of polling change in my life. Certainly, you look back, sort of Black Wednesday or something like that. You didn't see this speed of change for support of a party, and now it has been replicated. So, you know, the thirty—that is, I think we've had three pollsters now put them on over thirty points for the lead. A variety of others below that in the sort of mid-20s. So, you know, this is not just some kind of anomalous poll. This is a sustained trend. And you're seeing it across groups. You're seeing it across constituencies. When you look at the assessment of what people think of trust, I mean, over it's, it's like a word cloud, but everything's in tiny letters, except that right in the middle in huge letters is the word incompetent. <laughs> and uh, beneath that, slightly smaller, untrustworthy. She, she I mean, publicly... The impression of her is now cemented. And the view of Labour is still, you know, Keir Starmer. Is he the most inspirational speaker of all time? No. Is he the most charismatic? Probably not. Maybe a bit boring. But maybe right now people want a bit of boring. Someone that comes along and says, I can fix this. I can cross the T's, dot the I's, get things back on a stable footing. And at the moment, the polling strongly, strongly suggests that that is what people want.
0: And, of course, there's an opportunity for Labour perhaps to reopen the Brexit debate.
1: Yeah, so this is interesting. I mean, they won't talk about Brexit at all, and for good reason, which is you basically just reopen divisions, internal divisions in your parties and amongst your voters that you really do need to keep closed for for the time being. However... There's an opportunity that's suddenly opening for those of us who want to be back in the EU, which is the debate now is purely on growth. And it has to be. I mean, if Labour comes into power in two years' time, which it now looks very likely that they will, the first thing they're going to have to do is try and deal with the economy, the absolute mess of it that is being made now. And in that scenario, a whole different debate opens up, which won't be about, should we rejoin the EU? But it will probably be, should we rejoin the customs union, the European customs union, or maybe the European single market And once that's there, once those kind of core engine room linkages between Britain and Europe start to be melded together once again. Then all sorts of political opportunities open up and just the sheer kind of weight of trading gravity that overlays on your political system starts to push you in that direction. So all of a sudden it's still a twinkle in the eye at the moment. It's still a dream for medium term rather than anything that's about to happen. But suddenly all sorts of opportunities are opening up that weren't previously possible to us.
0: Ian, thanks for that. Ian Dunn, columnist with the iNews an author of that fine tome, How to Be a Liberal. G'day, potties! If you can't get enough of Canberra politics and you're missing Fran Kelly, head to the Party Room, the podcast where Fran and RN Brecky presenter Patricia Cavallis unpick the week in politics. You'll find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.